You're listening to the Brewing Network. The Brewing Network is proud to present... Beer Radio that turns ordinary homebrew into award-winning beer. The Jameel Show. And now, your hosts, Jameel Zainashef and John Fleece. Good morning, my Bruin brothers and sisters. Jamil, you need to wake up, buddy. You look worn out. You need to you need to ease up on the coffee this morning. <laughs> I'll eat two sips too. We I think we need to start uh, measuring that stuff up by milliliter and uh, caffeine content and uh, dose you just appropriately. Like your pitching calculator. Exactly, because you know some mornings you're a little too much coffee. Some mornings not enough, and I think we need to just uh, level that out there. I disagree. <laughs> I think we need to. It's like drinking beer. Do you ever, when you have like a beer at noon, do you ever find that you get a better buzz at noon at lunch than at nighttime? <laughs> well, I do. Usually by nighttime, I'm already 10 beers into it. So, okay. it, you know, one beer hardly makes a difference. Oh, anyways, you know, it's, the same thing. it's that first beer, you know, when you first get up and you're, you're brushing your teeth. And, uh, before that, or after that, that beer, during, okay, so. <laughs> that beer you have while you're brushing your teeth, that's the one that really kind of starts the day right for there me. There you go. Yeah, I, I have, to, I have the best time with that one. A little old ale for breakfast. Yeah. 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 No, I, I had just, I had a long, tiring weekend and I've been, what happened? You know, I, I somehow got involved in uh, helping out with the Sam Adams long shot competition. I like how you say somehow got involved. Well, I don't know how this stuff happens to me. You know, people go, oh, Jamil, you know, I'm like, no, 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 no. And uh, I end up doing it anyways. And was it a success? Was it a good time? Yeah, you know, Sam Adams paid for hotel rooms for the judges. They paid for like breakfast, lunch, and dinner for two days. They paid for parking. They shipped in beer. They shipped in all the supplies. They, you know, they they did everything possible to make us have you know the best time ever. And the judges came out. They had a great time. It all went very smoothly. But it's just a huge amount of work. Wow, and it's a huge amount. Of, it's you know, it's just you start first thing in the morning. How early? Uh, yeah, we started at eight setting up and getting everything and then the judges show up there and, uh, we started judging by 10 and then, you know, we we're done by maybe eight o'clock that night. Wow. It's just, it is nonstop action on my part to constantly make sure everything is, is going right and, and uh, taking care of, you know, little details and not stopping for a moment. And wow. it's just, you know, a 12 hour, you know, imagine working nonstop for 12 hours without any sort of break. Yeah. And you're just exhausted at the end. Yeah. And, uh, that plus, you know, drinking a bunch of beer while you're trying to do that. Oh, darn. Know, just kind of wears you out. So you oversaw the whole thing, <coughs> the whole event, how it ran and everything? Yeah. Yeah. I was kind of the logistics coordinator, kind of making sure people got their stuff done. Well, you do that a lot in local competitions too, don't you? I mean, this is what your 100th maybe you've done? 
<sighs> no, not quite that many, but uh, yeah, I, I, and I I don't like doing it. You know, I it's um I don't mind judging and helping out, but you're always stuck running the show. Yeah, it's just it's too much. You know, I I'm just I I got so many other things I'm doing. Yeah. You know, and now here I am. Here I was Sunday night uh, here, and then now here I am Monday morning. And then, you know, uh, there's people who want me to work that send me paychecks. You know, and at some point I got to take care of them too. Yeah. What about your kids? <laughs> the kids? Yeah. You know, uh, where's daddy? My daughter's first day of uh, seventh grade is, is this morning. Wow. She's like, where are you going? <laughs> I got a beer shows. <laughs> I got to get out of San Francisco to work. Uh, and a beer show. Well, I'm sure everybody appreciates your efforts, for sure. Well, and yeah, I, I, I didn't mention it for that, but, uh, you know, um, and I'm sure, um, you know, people do appreciate the, the work that everybody put in on it. Mm. But it's just, I'm just, just whining, cause I'm tired. It's okay. <laughs> Whine away, buddy. I was whining last night, whining today, I'm just whiny. Yeah, Justin's like, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> Look at this. Jamil, it was the first time I've ever seen Jamil seriously. He was a whiny bitch all night. <laughs> Not all night. And, uh, the last half hour of the show, he stopped whining. Okay. Yeah. yeah. A few beers in and then. <clears throat> yeah. Okay. Well. Uh, yeah, breathe, well, you know, but, you know, I, I, I was just, you know me normally, I take, my first assumption is somebody's just kidding. And then I go in for the other stuff. But somebody, you know, called in, and he was kidding, it turned out. But, you know, it was, it's like he's trying to stir it up between you and me. And I think, you know, people don't realize, because we joke around a lot, yeah. people don't realize how much I care for you yeah. and, you know, our our relationship yeah. outside of this is really, you know. Talking some smack, huh? Yeah. And, um, cool. you know, <laughs> uh, people don't realize. Okay, so, for example... Do you recall who, when you won your first best of show, who told you you won first best of sh- your first best of show? Who told you that information? I think either Chris Graham or Jim Rossi. <laughs> <laughs> Set that up nicely. <laughs> you, don't, you don't recall me calling you on my cell phone, coming back from Reno, telling you you won best of show? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Jim knows going to walk out of here. Oh, okay. Well, anyways... You know, and how happy I was for you. Okay. And even though you beat me, you don't recall? Yeah, I had like it's, a runner-up. Three times I've done that. <laughs> <laughs> now you're dreaming. <laughs> Your memory is is just just in the crapper. <laughs> but the point being, I'm quite happy. I'm always happy for you when when you do well. Yeah, I'm and glad my beers go against yours. You know, win or lose. <laughs> But regardless you know? of the love fest, it was a funny question. Like, it's funny to ask that. that Be- and it's because I, everybody I knows. Know. I mean, you obviously do a show I, I, together. I don't know. I I, I don't know. <laughs> I, you know. I get so many people giving me crap that uh, I, I don't need any more crap. Besides, I, John know. probably paid the guy to, to call in and ask the question anyway. Damn it. No, no, it was actually Joe, and he he emailed me afterwards, and uh, Joe's a good guy, and he was just trying to, trying to joke around. Yeah. But I was just... So so damn tired. I I really. The Joe Formanek? No, oh, okay. different Joe. Good good guy down in Southern California. Uh, all right. So <clears throat> before we run out of time here, <laughs> let's get on to some listener email. <coughs> Sorry. <clears throat> focus. Focus. All right, uh, Jay. Your show is excellent. So I'm not sure if they're this was meant for you or for me. 
Dude, we, we have our own hip-hop club now. That's right. <laughs> We're called Jay. Jay. Uh, I really, it could be for, no, it couldn't be for Justin. I really learned a lot from your discussion on brewing. Often it is the little asides that are the most helpful, though. I tried, uh, several of your recipes, all grain, full, uh, volume boil with excellent results. I'm not kegging my beer at this time and I've relied on carbonation in the bottle. I have had very inconsistent results, mostly with undercarbonation. I've gone to using weight additions of corn sugar. That's a good, good idea. Mm-hmm. But even with this, uh, and adding 150 grams or so, which by my calculations in an, in an ale at 68 degrees should end up with two and a half to three volumes at the end. Several beers have been too flat. Hmm. The capping is fine. I think the yeast is okay, and I have left them at room temps in the 70s for one month or more. I see from your website photos you do have a lot of beer in bottles. I assume you use a counterflow, uh, uh, counter pressure filler. Which brand do you have the most success with, and do you overcarbonate in the keg prior to bottling for competition? Thanks. Love the show, and can't wait for every other Monday. David. A uh, couple things. If you're having tr- trouble with carbonating in the bottle, there's got to be a couple of problems. If if all the bottles are too low or too high in carbonation, then it's a, a sugar thing, and the yeast eating the sugar thing. So either you didn't add enough sugar... Mm. And the or the yeast are, are dead or dying, right? Uh, or you added too much sugar, or it didn't attenuate enough to start with. Hmm. As a as a when you're if you're first starting out, uh, I don't know if that David is, but uh, other other brewers uh, when you're first starting out, uh, your chances are your beer isn't attenuating fully, and you might end up with uh, some residual sugars in there, and the carbonation will be pretty a bit higher. Mm-hmm. Uh, as as think as it's the beer sit, as you get more experience, you attenuate your beers better. You ferment them better. You get better attenuation, and so there's not as much residual sugar there. Right. So which is a variable. Right. So you, you, exactly, you have to adjust. Um, if you are getting different carbonation in different bottles, so some bottles are are well carbonated, some of them aren't then the only possibility is either you didn't mix everything up well enough in the bottling bucket right. or you have uh, some caps that aren't holding. Interesting. Um, those are the only two possibilities. So either if, if it's all of them across the board and you're not quite getting enough carbonation, you might up the amount of sugar. You don't want bottle bombs, mm-hmm. but uh, you know uh, you might try dosing with a touch of uh, uh, you know a clean uh, yeast, uh, like a champagne yeast? I wouldn't use champagne yeast because it tends to attenuate too full. Oh, okay. But, you know, you can use like a dry US 56. Okay. But if you're using uh, a yeast initially that doesn't attenuate much. Right. And then you go to a more attenuative yeast, you'll end up drying out the beer and possibly causing exploding bottles. Hmm. Very dangerous. So be but careful. But f- final gravity definitely plays a role, though. Right. In how much sugar you add, right? Um. Yeah, if you, if it didn't, Correctly attenuate all the way to start with. Like um, I, I, I will tell customers that if they finish ten, fifteen, or higher, to add half the dosage of corn sugar. Right, and and that shouldn't be the case because right. you know it should attenuate completely all the sugars that the yeast is going to attenuate, and right. then you add in some simple sugars that they can easily consume. But won't that help them be able consume to do it? other residual sugar within the beer? But the residual sugar, I mean, it shouldn't really. I mean, the residual sugar should be. Um, you know the unfermentable sugars. Okay. For so the that yeast. could just be like a residual sugar from a crystal right. malt or something. Right. Oh, okay. And if um, <clears throat> somebody's 
you know, uh, their new brewers starting out and they're not adding enough yeast or they're, you know, adding these to a really hot word or something and it's stunning the yeast and it's not attenuating very well or mm-hmm. middle of the ferment, they chill it down to 32 degrees by accident. And, right. You know, they leave behind all these sugars. That can be, you know, that's, and that's why you're telling those people because when they're first starting out, right. once they gain some experience, they can adjust and dial in. I think Mike Riddle, he bottle conditions everything and he's had great success. I mean, homebrew yeah. year and everything. So. Right. All right. Uh, Jeff writes in, Jamel, I wanted to try to make a beer with these mysterious Amarillo hops I hear, uh, keep hearing you guys talk about. So I brewed your American Pale Ale recipe, but for the hops, I replaced the Lake Cascade and Centennial Editions with all Amarillo. Whole Leaf is, was all I could find. The results were a bit different than I would have guessed it would be. It seems a bit sweeter than I would have anticipated, but it's still pretty good and seems to get better every week. Maybe it's aging well. I'm thinking of entering this in our local homebrew competition, the Dixie Cup, which is a big-ass competition. Uh, in reading the BJCP guidelines, I noticed the beer I made fits all right into two different categories, American Pale Ale, American Amber Ale. I'm trying to decide which category to enter into. Any tips you can give me to help my, in me in my classification? Also, what kind of shelf life does a pale ale have? Competition isn't for another seven weeks. Can I expect any kinds of off flavors from this? If so, I may have just enough time to brew it again. I think... I would add a bit more bittering hops this time, but then it wouldn't have the advantage of aging for a few weeks. Any thoughts there? Thanks, Pope. Hmm. Um, <clears throat> a couple of things. And uh, one thing I don't think Jeff knew was uh, if you're going to substitute whole leaf for pellet hops, you need to adjust uh, for lower utilization. You're going to get 10% less bitterness or so from whole leaf than you will from pellets. And... Um, the other issue with, with whole leaf is if you're using only a portion of a bag, the top of the bag is going to have less resin and less bitterness than the bottom of the bag mm-hmm. because all the little things shake out. If you if you have a have it in a clear bag and you look at it after a while, you'll see a big pile of resin in the bottom of the bag. Throw that in. It's one of the reasons yeah. I don't like whole leaf hops right. because it's all uneven. It's very hard to be very consistent with them. And pellets are much more consistent that way. Right. And consistency is, is very important. So if you're not using the entire bag, you're not really sure that you're, you know, what, what you're getting. So that's another thing to, to be aware of. That's a great tip. Um, uh, the other thing is, uh, let's see here, uh, uh, if you're trying to decide whether it's an American Pale Ale, American Amber Ale, and you're kind of in between and you're reading the guidelines, um, if, uh, you know, you might try asking a couple other people. The other thing to do, if you're really not sure, you can enter it as both uh, in each category. John likes to do this on, on certain things just to find out what the judges say. Because mm-hmm. it's really, you know, it, it's not uh, dishonest. You're saying, I'm not sure, is this a better American Pale Ale or a better American Amber Ale? And have the judges tell you. That's one of the jobs of the judges is to you know, indicate to you which, you know, is it to style. And, uh, you know, at that point you'll know and, and, you know, it's an education for you as well. For sure. Yeah. Uh, as far as the shelf life for a pale ale, I think the shelf life for any beer is, uh, generally much longer than people assume. Certain styles do drop out and then the hoppy styles tend to change kind of rapidly. Mm-hmm. The, you know, the hops will dr- Drops significantly, fairly quick. You lose fifty percent of your hops in in uh, you know just a few months. Really? 
Right. Oh from, yeah, from Brew Day, fifty percent human bitterness and uh, flavor. I've seen, I've seen the it's and it's actually bitterness. You lose like, uh, I've seen the scale on it, and it's and it's a huge drop in bitterness wow. fairly quick. This, this falls out of solution and goes to the bottom. Yeah, I, 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 I'm not sure what the mechanism is, wow. but I've I've seen the actual. They did a IBU analysis of uh, beers, you know, at certain times, and uh, uh, the IBUs drop wow. over. Over time, really quick. What about aroma? Like, that uh, yeah, too? that that drops too, and then you tend to, you know, you get some oxidized characters in there. Huh. Things tend to sweeten up, and so it changes. But um, you know, it takes some time, and uh, you know, seven weeks is is not a big deal. No, you know, two months, pretty fresh. Yeah, that should be fine. Uh, you know, the the problem most brewers have is that uh, the brewing isn't very clean, mm. and that's why the beers don't last very long. Or they don't keep them cold. If you know, you keep it cold, and it'll be fine for seven weeks. Oh, it's yeah. definitely not a big deal. If it was, uh, you know, going to be a lot longer than that, then well, that's something else. All right. In the show last night, uh, uh, was the Sunday show, we got a question in uh, Jamel: How much uh, Rauch malt do you use in your smoke porter, and how does it affect the overall flavor of the beer? Uh, I use about twenty uh, percent uh, Rauch malt in the uh, smoke porter. I hate Ralph. Ruck. Ruck. Gross malt. <laughs> it's disgusting. Uh, use, use the beechwood smoked. And, uh, you know, 15 to 20 percent is probably about right. Uh, you know, it'll change character over time. And that's, that's gonna get you in the ballpark of like an Alaskan smoke porter. And, uh, you know, how it affects the flavor is it makes it smoky. You get a, you know, get that smoke phenol in there. And, uh, 15 to 20 cent percent, 15 to 20 percent of the, uh, base malt, uh, you know, or the, the malt, uh, would be just about right. Did you place with this? Yes. At, at Nationals, like, uh-huh. three years ago? Four years ago? Uh, Jeff Larson, who's, he, Alaskan, he, Alaskan brewing uh, company, brewing company uh-huh. with Alaskan Smoke Porter. Uh, Ray Daniels, who, he and Jeff wrote the book on smoke beers. Yeah. The smoke beer style book. Uh. And Harold Goodbranson, good oh, friend of mine, excellent brewer, brewer yeah. and excellent smoke beer brewer and a uh, big fan of smoke beers. The three of them uh, uh, chose the smoked porter that I do for uh, second place medal awesome. in, that, in that competition. Great. And then uh, I just uh, got a gold this year in uh, Rauch beer for the classic Rauch. Wow. And that's, uh, again... Uh, that's so, hard to do well, I think, using the Rauch malt. Balance, because I've had some beers that are just like licking raw rauk molds, disgusting. Or, yeah, yeah. So they overdo it or? Um, you know, it, it just depends on, uh, uh, you know, the, uh, the, you know, the overall balance, balance and blend. It's, it's tricky, but you know, they're, they're, the rauk beer is a ten, intensely, uh, intensely, uh, smoky beer, mm. intensely. All right, we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to start talking about Belgian pale ales. Uh, we'll be right back, eh? Dick. Now, back to the Jameel Show. All right, we're back. We're talking about Belgian pale ales. I think uh, John's. I, I feel good. Yeah, you start off the morning using your hop scale, right? Yeah, 
Yeah, my special Your gram scale? My gram scale. Tenths of a gram. (laughs) Tenths. That's how we should measure out your coffee in future days. All right, so Belgian pale ale. Um, The thing about uh, Belgian pale ale, let's see, uh, description. The aroma of a Belgian pale ale, malty, uh, toasty, biscuity. Yes, see? You see? Biscuity. Toasty, biscuity aroma. Yep. Uh, it's got some, some fruity character to it, low hop aroma. Uh, the, the thing about it is, it is, it's a Belgian beer, and you're gonna get some, uh, some pear, some orange, some, uh, uh, fruit characters like that, but it is not overwhelming. Hmm. And, uh, in, and if you get some spicy, it'll be very low, it'll be minimal. It's not, uh, uh, and over the top, it's a fairly clean beer as far as uh, Belgian beers go. So you'd ferment it cooler, like mid sixties. Yeah, and you know, uh, be careful with your yeast. You wouldn't, it's not going to be a high alcohol um, uh, level. It's it's uh, you know it's it's not a, it, it's a a daily drinking session type of beer. Mm. You know, and uh, you know, nice and nice and fairly clean. They're kind of copper in color. <laughs> Pardon me. Almost like Chimay, like red label, yeah, or, d- or lighter uh, than that, or because uh, that's a double. Yeah. And, but copper, copper, okay, copper. like a reddish uh, amber. Uh, clarity's good. Nice uh, rocky head on them, and flavor again, lightly fruity. Uh, maybe a, maybe a bit of uh, spice in there. And that, uh, you know, I like to get that from the hop with, uh, not as, not as phenolic, you know, yeah, the yeast will give you some phenols. Um, again, that malt sweetness, some toasty, biscuity, uh, and, uh, the alcohol is not really hot or high. It's, uh, you know, fairly restrained. It's, um, medium to medium light body, easy drinking, uh, slightly fruity, uh, Ale. This is about a five percent, five five point two percent beer. Your OG is going to start in the ten forty eight to ten fifty four range. Finishing gravity ten ten to ten fourteen. Around twenty five IBUs. Around ten SRM for color. Deconic is a is a commercial example. Um, probably probably the best known uh, commercial example. Hmm. And uh, again, it's it's not. Uh, huge and uh, solventy and or things like that are really warming. Beer. Yeah, it's you know it's like uh, uh, you know they drink that like uh, we drink a Budweiser over here. Wow. Well, we don't drink a Budweiser, but you know. Um, and you know, so it's not something you're going to toss in a bunch of candy sugar and uh, you know jack the the alcohol up. If you're doing that, you're not making a, a Belgian pale ale. So you wouldn't even use candy sugar. No, 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 okay. no. It's it's not one of those things you're trying for high alcohol. Your your starting gravity is uh, for the one I do uh, ten fifty two. Okay, right on. You know, fairly fairly reasonable. Yeah, all German pills malt or? Well, uh, <coughs> I would go um, German pills malt. I've done it before where I did half German pills and half. What do you think, Marisotter? Yeah, there you yeah. go. For that. Biscuity flavor. Exactly. <laughs> Get a little biscuity uh, going on little, in there. A little toasty. Mm-hmm. Get that English malty kind of character in there. And I've seen it where uh, people have gone with, uh, you know, like an English pale malt 
as the base, sometimes with the Pilsner, and I've done a 50-50. And I don't know, I, I guess I'm swinging more towards the Pilsner now. Really? Yeah. 100%? Yeah, I'll use uh, uh, mainly Pilsner malts as a base. So in, uh, let's see, what size is this batch? Uh, six, Probably six gallons, yeah, six gallons. Um, I'll use 11 pounds of Pilsner malt. I'll use a three-quarter pound of Caramunic. Around a 75 uh, level bond, and uh, a half pound of Munich malt, just mm-hmm. to kind of give it that uh, character in there as well. How Im- how important do you think Care Munich is, or how crucial it is for that flavor that you're going for in this style? I think it's a must-have. I, I think if you don't have Care Munich in there, you know, we'll get that toasty flavor going right. on. And I guess you could probably use. Some, you know, like 75 Love Crystal and some Munich, but oh, it's really not the same as Care Munich. Right. You know, it's a completely different thing. Yeah. Um, and it's odd how, how they taste different. Mm-hmm. So, and, and most shops now carry Care Munich. So, uh, if you can get Care Munich malt, that's, that's really the way to go. Good stuff. If you're doing an extract brew, uh, you're gonna replace that Pilsner malt with Hopefully a Pilsner-based uh, extract. I know uh, a few companies have them, and it's going to be around 7.5 pounds of uh, uh, the Pilsner extract. And you're going to have to either partial mash that uh, Munich malt or uh, swap that out with some Munich malt extract. And you could go half pound on that. You know, as long as you end up around 10.52 for your original gravity, it's okay. Um, you know, And a combination like that is, is, is uh, pretty good. I'm not sure that the Munich malt extract gives you quite as much Munich malt character as uh we're going to start we're going to order partial here soon. Yeah. Munich extract. But Kara Munich for sure for steeping. Yeah, you and, you, extract. You, and you would stoop steep would stoop. Don't you'd steep that uh Don't say something stupid yeah. again though. That's going to get replayed a don't dozen times. Don't steep to my today. level there. No, I, uh yeah, you need to steep that Kara Munich malt and uh that will uh uh, is a is a critical part of the character of the beer. Mm-hmm. As far as hopping goes, uh, I like to go with uh, uh, a Kent Goldings as the uh, the bittering addition. Uh, Around sixty minutes, I'll go uh, four point eight homebrew bittering units, which is point um, eight uh, ounce of uh, EKG at six percent alpha, sixty minutes. Then I'll do, and it's not supposed to have a lot of hop flavor or aroma, but I'll do a half ounce of uh, uh, Czech sauce mm-hmm. uh, at uh, 40 minutes and the same thing at 15 minutes, which is, uh, in this case, it was uh, one and a half, uh, 1.5 HBU homebrew bittering units. And uh, part of the reason I do that is, you know, I get a little bit of a spicy peppery from the sauce. Oh yeah. And I think you have to have that. It, it, it gets right in there with, <laughs> with the other phenols that you're gonna get and, you know, it, it's not over the top. It's just kind of a background thing that's really very pleasant. And I like it that way. It complements the malt. Yeah. And I don't yeah. know that, uh, that's necessarily very traditional, but, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if it, if it, uh, uh, wasn't because, um, or was because, uh, uh, you know, a lot of those breweries out there that are brewing these kinds of beers, they started doing some of this just because, um, you know, Pilsner was the big beer and everybody was using, uh, you know, Pilsner malt mm-hmm. and they were using Saz hops and they were using, 
and they you know and the the thing that was the they did differently was they used their own yeast. Hmm. You know, so everybody was kind of brewing the same thing and using their own same yeast. Grains. And a lot of a lot of times, you know, they're all making a you know a pilsner, but they were using you know their own yeast and uh, temperatures and. So, you know, some differences remain, but that's why there, there's a uh, heavy use of Pilsner malt and uh, sauce hops across there, I think. So well, I, I would. Aren't, aren't sauce hops used a lot in Belgian style beers over there, or is it Steering? Uh, Steering? Steering Goldings? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think, and, you know, they use some English hops and they'll use uh, German hops as well. Hmm. Uh, you know, it's quite, uh, quite prevalent over there. Yeah, I, and, use, I use saws a lot. That's all I use in Belgians. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I just think that's what traditionally that they use. So mm. spicy. <laughs> Jabil, your your eyes are like half asleep right now, but I'm like I'm trying to feed off of you a little bit here, you know. <laughs> hey Jamil, before you move on, you yeah. mentioned homebrew bittering units, HBUs. Yeah. What what is that? Listeners want to know. Um, what's the difference? Yeah. Yeah. Um. Uh, I explained it one of the earlier shows. Somebody, you need to listen to all the shows. That's, then you that's take the, the, the alpha acid, <laughs> yes, and you multiply that by the amount of gallons. Of no beer, no. Alpha acid times the amount of hops. Amount of hops. There you go. The amount of ounces, ounces of HBUs. hops. Right. Now, how close is that to the actual IBUs? Uh, no, it's not at all. Okay. It has nothing to do really with IBUs. But one listener, um, uh, Fred, I think it was he. Um, really not the Fred that does the, uh, recipes on the website, but he, uh, felt that the way we were describing things on the air, you could not, um, reproduce the, um, recipe. Oh, wow. Uh, and, and, and the deal is, okay, so, um, if I s- tell you, okay, at, uh, 60 minutes, I'm adding 4.8 HBUs, you know that's ounces times alpha acid. You don't need to know what uh, alpha acid hop I had. I had six percent uh, 6%, uh, East Kent Goldings at 0.8 ounces. Okay. Right. And so if you go to your local homebrew shop and you get um, uh, Kent Goldings that's um, uh, you know eight percent alpha acid, then you would only need uh, 0.6 ounces right. of that. And so that number kind of tells you both of those in combination. You can adjust based on that. It's kind of just part of the story because you need to know pellets. It's always in ounces, so it doesn't work with our, our gram friends in uh, the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it doesn't really work that well for um, some of the very late additions. You really, it's important, um, like, you know, at uh, 15 minutes to have a half ounce and not to go to an ounce and not to go to, you know, a quarter ounce. You want a half ounce for flavor and aroma reasons. So what you need to do is say, okay, well, I'm getting more IBUs from that right now than Jamel was in his recipe, so I need to back off on my bittering a little bit or I'm going to end up with a too bitter beer. Mm. So you have to kind of download the recipe and look at it and say, all right, so you go to that uh, uh, website that has all the recipes on it. If you scroll to the, uh, go to Brewing Network, go to the Jamel page, scroll to the end of the list of uh, uh, shows, and at, at the bottom there is a link to a site that has all the recipes from all the shows, plus a ton of other award-winning recipes. Uh, real, really nice uh, collection the guys putting together there. And uh, you know, look at that. And again, you want to always maintain your your aroma and flavor additions, and try and get the the keep those the same because uh, 
Those are always critical to a recipe. And then if you're ending up more bitter or less bitter, adjust your, your bittering addition up or down. And uh, it won't have as much flavor impacting. You can kind of keep the same bittering all, th- all the way through. So as hops change each year, you know, it's hard to get the exact same alpha acid. You know, that's that's the way to go. So a 60-minute, a 40-minute, and a 15-minute addition. And that's uh, the HBU things uh, people ask for. Sweet. Uh, as far as yeast goes, or you know, let's get in the mash temperature here. If you're doing uh, all grain, uh, mash temp is 154. No. Ah. Oh. That's your sweet spot. That is my sweet spot. But in this case, <laughs> it would be too sweet a sweet spot. It would okay. be too, you need something, you know, the more easy drinking something is, generally the lower, lower the mash temperature. Call in 1-888-401-BEER. Or chat now. Or chat now. Chat now, but. Uh, so I go 152, which is about 67 degrees uh, C, uh, for, uh, the mash temp. And the, the reason being you want it to, to end up a little, uh, less body, a little drier, uh, helps with that ease of drinking. Cause you're adding a fair amount of caramunic in here, right? Uh, three quarter pound in this recipe, that is about 6%, uh, caramunic, which, which can add some sweetness. So you, you need to back off. That's gonna add, you know, some, uh, uh, unfermentable sugar, so you don't want too much from the mash. Um, so it's important to, to keep it down. And I I could even see going to 150. Yeah, something like that. really dry. Why not? Yeah, dry it out a little Drink bit more. Drink more of it. <laughs> Drink more. We'll make more. Uh, as far as fermentation, you're going to uh, have a choice of yeasts. And this, you know, becomes kind of personal here. It depends on what you like. I tend to use uh, either the White Labs uh, WLP 550, which yeah. is the Belgian ale. That's mine. Mm-hmm. Good yeast. That's good all around yeast. You can use that for almost any oh, yeah. any of the non-sour Belgians and get good results, I Plus think. it flocculates out really well. Yeah, it's a, it's good yeast. Uh, y yeast has uh, their Belgian ale yeast, which is the 1214. And uh, another good uh, Y yeast that uh, uh, I've tried in the past, the uh, 3522, the Belgian Ardennes yeast. Hmm. On your dark strong that you placed this year uh-huh. with, was that the 550 strain or was it Trappist? Uh, I'd have to look it up. It's either the 550 or I think actually what it is, um, you can go to Stan Hieronymus's site, uh, Brew Like a Monk, and uh, the recipe's on there. Okay. And he talks about judging it and all that stuff. And, uh, I believe it was the Belgian strong golden yeast that White, White Labs makes. Cause I had made the strong golden first. And then, uh, oh, you repitched right on I top think of I repitched, uh, to the dark. Hmm. And, uh, I think that's, uh, that's the case. Okay. Now the golden is How old was that beer? Four years. Oh. Perfect. Five years around there, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's funny. One of the comments from the judge is like, oh, you know, it just needs some age. Let it, uh, you know, enter it in 2007. <laughs> needs some age. Yeah, first place. <laughs> you know, it's uh, four or five years old already. Uh, you know, and uh, again, that's one of the things about judging comments. It's very difficult for, for the judges to know exactly. And, and they're just uh, making some assumptions. So mm-hmm. <laughs> you can't give them too hard a time about it. But... uh yeah, it uh it's got it's got quite a bit of age on it already. Mm. But uh you know, again, if it's a beer's clean, 
uh, you can you can let them sit for a long time. They'll, they'll do well, especially uh, beers like that. They they really take on a nice character. And stored cool. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Storm cool. And you know the number of people that are building those uh, walk-ins now with the. And one guy he sent me a link. I, I'm sorry, I'm getting all off track here today. But one guy sent me this link of uh, the photos of this walk-in cooler he made. Really sweet. I mean, it's, he's got it all nice and paneled, and you know, it's just just this beautiful walk-in, and uh, just just fabulous. And he's doing it with a, a little window AC unit. Yep. And uh, you know, just it's it's really cool how how people are building these things. And he, he sent me notes and said, you know, how much he appreciated uh, the website that has all this stuff on it. You should get some shares at Home Depot or something. Yeah, well, or go to Lowe's, Lowe's or wherever. Okay. I don't care. You know. Again, that's, uh, you know, the information's up there just to, to share. I mean, that's, you know, the reason we do this is oh, yeah. to share. It's, uh, I think it's pretty cool that, uh, people go into those extremes and that they have spouses that allow them to do these insane things. They marry the right spouse. Exactly. One that'll let you build a walk-in cooler. <laughs> Keep the kids in there too. Yeah. Alright, so, we're gonna take <laughs> another break, uh, and, uh, when we come back, we're gonna kind of recap Belgian Pale Ales and talk about God knows what else. We're back. Yes, we are. Talking about Belgian Pale Ale. We're going to need someone to call in here, too. 888-401-BEER. You know, click that chat now button if you're listening uh, live on the website. You can chat with others uh, who share the same interests as you. Good beer. Um, We were talking about, uh, during the break, John brought up the point of uh, some people believe uh, one of the things you can do is underpitch on certain styles in order to drive more yeast-derived flavors. Especially the Belgians. Yeah, and, you know, on the Belgians, especially on the higher alcohol ones, I would never do something like that because you, you want that thing to finish out. On a, on a lower one with plenty of oxygen, you might get away with it. And and there's a difference between pitching at a lower rate and underpitching. Okay. Okay, underpitching, by definition, is too low for to properly ferment out the batch. Okay. Pitching at a lower rate, however, is enough yeast to properly ferment out the batch, but is requiring a little bit more growth, but you've got all the oxygen and nutrients that it needs. But there's got to be an issue. There's a discrepancy. There's got... What about original gravity? I mean... Yeah, original gravity is important, and that's going to affect how much yeast you need, right? Okay. So there's a range of pitching, and you can can pitch um, anywhere in that range lower to the higher end of that range, still get a proper fermentation, and it's going to affect the flavor profile. Mm. If you pitch more, you're going to get less yeast growth, and you're going to get less esters and all the yeast uh, flavors like that and less fusel alcohols and stuff. You pitch lower, you're going to get more fusel alcohols, you're going to get more esters, you're going to get more phenolics, things like that. But you're you're saying you can still pitch lower, but still have a, a, a proper beer. A proper fermentation, proper right. Okay. Yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. It'll, it can attenuate all the way down. It can uh, 
you know, be clean. It can, you know, but it, you're going to have more of the yeast-derived flavors, the esters, the, uh, you know, diacetyl, uh, phenols, uh, things like that. So would you do it by based on flavor or what you want as a brewer to taste? Well, yeah, what you, exactly. If you're not getting enough of those things, then, you know, back off in your pitching rate slightly, you know, knock it down by 10% a time or 20% a time until you get into the range you want. Okay. You know, most of these yeasts will put out plenty to start with. Well, they've upped their cell count. White Labs, for instance, right? It's right. 100 billion cells per vial. Now, right. is that enough for a Belgian pale, a 1052 original gravity, one uh, vial of yeast? Uh, no, it's about half the amount you need. Okay. Uh, you know, you can do it. Uh, and it'll, it, if the vial is very fresh, right. uh, you might get away with it. Um, definitely auction eight though. And yeah, you need plenty of auction. It's about half the, the ideal pitching rate. Okay. And then, you know, as the vial ages, um, the viability is dropping off right. and you really need to make a starter. Hmm. Uh, but you can get away with a, you know, a starter. Okay. And, uh, one vial, do a, do a great job on this. Well, we were talking, you know, I had brewed a Belgian double, 1065, original gravity. Mm-hmm. And I decided not to do a starter, just do one vial per mm-hmm. five gallons. And it finished out at 10.08. Mm-hmm. You know, I did auctionate for a minute or two. Mm-hmm. You know, I let it ferment for three weeks in the primary, mm-hmm. you know. But obviously the yeast didn't have an issue finishing out my beer. Mm-hmm. I mean, it did have more esters and that spicy phenolic mm-hmm. funkiness going right. on. But that mellowed out as it aged, mm-hmm. you know. But it was still a slower ferment, I think, but it was smoother longer term. And it was a cleaner beer. But it's, I'm not saying it's right. I mean, you, I obviously underpitched according, you know, right. to your calculator and stuff. Right. But it was enough, whatever I did was enough to get a dry beer and to finish out my beer. Right. Or there were some contaminants in there and that, no. that finished it for you. <laughs> no, I, I think, I think it's, it's possible to do stuff like this. But, you know, now when we were talking about this off air, you were saying you did an experiment. <clears throat> now it wasn't really an experiment. That's though. right. That's right. right. So you you were just uh you weren't uh, being precise. Well, I had brewed the batch it. before at ten sixty five and right. pitched a thousand mil starter right. into it. Right now, uh, and I I think it's good to do stuff like this because mm-hmm. it tells you a lot. But the only way it really tells you stuff because the the, the problem is, and I have this problem too. Everybody has this problem. Mm. It's so easy to convince yourself of what the result is you're going to get. That's a good point. And um. You know, beer is such a complex thing that, and there's so many flavors and aromas in there, unless it is just hit you over the head obvious, it's, you have to have them side by side. So the thing to do when you want to run an experiment on the amount of pitching or the pitching temperature or the types of yeast or things like that, you gotta make one wort. It's that day. That yeah, day, you right. gotta divide it up into the exact same types of containers, mm-hmm. the exact same volume, so, the ratios are the same, and then you need to pitch the, you know, <clears throat> if you're doing uh, comparisons in, like, temperature, you need to pitch the exact same number of cells. If you're doing, um, you know, you got to have the same amount of oxygen. It's very, you got to control these aspects of, a, of an experiment. And if you're doing something like, uh, you know, pitching a starter in one and just a tube in another, it's got to be side by side, mm-hmm. <clears throat> you know, fermented out the same temperature and all that. And then taste the results blind. Have somebody pour the beer for you blind so you can't... Uh, uh, tell and ideally do a triangle test hmm. and see if there really is because sometimes just between two beers that are exactly the same I can pour the same beer twice for somebody and, and tell them hey pick out the one that's uh, more phenolic and they'll contradict me and they'll then they'll pick one out and go oh yeah this one right here it's the same, same beer. beer wow they'll do it every time wow. if you put it in a triangle test where you put uh, 
you know, the three beers together, you know, three pours of the same thing in a triangle and tell them to pick out the same one, they'll still pick something out. You have them repeat it and you'll see that there's, it's pretty much random. Wow. So, um, what you do is when you're trying to compare two beers, uh, pour two of one sample and one of the other sample and then, uh, you know, mix them up and see if you can pick out the one that is different. Hmm. And if you can pick it out time after time after time successfully, then there is truly a difference. Hmm. If you can't successfully pick it out every time, there's not a difference. There you there's go. There's not a detectable difference if you can't always pick it out, right? See, that's fun. Like, that's what homebrewers right. should be doing. Right. So, <laughs> you know, yeah, when you do an experiment, try and make yeah. it as, you know, scientific as possible and, uh, you know, do those comparisons. And it's, it's great stuff. Think about how much you just learned about yeast and about tasting beer too, alone right. just by that little simple experiment. I mean, right. Exactly. Uh, you know, I had a guy, um, same wort, two vials of yeast. One's at a lower gravity than the other. Mm-hmm. And, you know, same right off the shelf, pitched the same time, auctioned at the same right. time, but low different gravity. Well, you know, one of the things, one of the horrible secrets is that, <clears throat> you know, the exact cell count of those vials is not the same. Sure. Even in the same production run. If you look at the vials and you see some are filled higher, some are filled lower, it's a it's difference in the number of cells. Hmm. And uh, so... You know, the only real way to to get to this is to, you know, get out the hemocytometer, get out the microscope, count how many cells you have, check the viability. Everything else is an estimate. It's our best guess, and it turns out great beer. I mean, there's, you know, the the, the process is flexible. Mm-hmm. You can you can make beer in a lot of different ways. And some of the differences we're talking about <clears throat> are are small. Right. You know, it's... It's like, uh, you know, and it's, it's a great beer and it could be award winning beer. And it's just, you know, how deep you want to get into the process and whether, you know, if you want, you know, that last little iota of, you know, change that, oh gosh, you know, this is, uh, just a tiny bit more, uh, estery than this other one. It's like, okay, well then you're, you're going to go into, you know, this, uh, uh, cold pitching will be more important to you or, mm-hmm. You know, you want those last little tweaks in there. Um, you know, the the big thing is getting enough yeast in there, healthy, uh, you know, sanitation, you know, those basics. That's that's where 90% 95% of beer is made right there. Mm-hmm. Stan Hieronymus, you wrote the <coughs> Brew Like a Monk book? Yeah. Right? I was reading some of it, and he, Belgians, they even cold pitch. They'll, you know, pitch at 65. Colder and, and let it warm up. Yeah. Yeah. And do you, why do they do that? Um, you know, it gives them the flavor profile they want. Right. Because it's going to naturally heat up as it ferments. Right. And that's probably their ambient temperature. But I just thought it was interesting for Belgians that they're actually pitching cold in the 60s. Well, in those yeasts, yes, a lot of those yeasts, if you don't let them warm up like that towards the end, they mm-hmm. tend to just slow down and fall out. Okay. So you really <laughs> you do need to do that. and. It's, you know, the, the Belgian yeast can, some of them especially can be really, really tricky. Mm. For this beer, um, you want to ferment it, uh, yeah, you can start out cold, maybe 65, let it go up to 70, 72 in there. Uh, generally, I'll, I'll go, uh, 68 Fahrenheit, uh, and up to maybe 70 Fahrenheit, so 20 to 21 degrees C. And that'll give you a nice balance of the fruity and the spicy and all that. Uh, each yeast is going to be a little different. Each situation is going to be a little different. But that's a good ballpark. It's kind of in the the ale range, the upper ale range in there. And uh, you'll you know it'll 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 turn out a decent beer. I had a random question from the chat. You want to wait on that? Random? Yeah. 
Uh, well, let me uh, let me recap the recipe because we always forget to do this okay. until the last minute. So, if I was brewing this beer, <clears throat> you know, six gallon batch, I'd go with like a ninety minute boil time. I would uh, target ten fifty two as my original gravity, my starting gravity. It's about thirteen Play-Doh, a little less than thirteen Play-Doh. I would go 11 pounds of Pilsner malt, which is about 90% Pilsner malt, 6% Kara Munich or three-quarter pound Kara Munich, and then uh, 4% of uh, uh, light Munich malt, which is like a 8 uh, uh, SRM, a 20 EBC uh, Munich malt, about 4%. I'd use Kent Goldings for the bittering, 6% alpha, giving me about 19.5 IBUs at 60 minutes, and a half ounce of Sots at uh, uh, 40 minutes and at 15 minutes. Give you just a hint of flavor and, and aroma in there, uh, as a background. And then, uh, I, I like the, uh, the White Labs, uh, 550 or the, uh, 1214, uh, uh, Y East and ferment around 68 degrees Fahrenheit, 20 degrees C. Uh, mash temperature 152, uh, <clears throat> for conversion, which is about 67 degrees C. And, uh, turn out a real nice, uh, Belgian pale ale, I think. Got anything to add to that, John? No, just drink lots of it. <laughs> Sounds <laughs> tasty. Yeah, <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, it makes a nice beer. Easy, All right, easy drinking. Somebody, a new listener for you, Jamil, um, wants to know the real difference between an IPA and an ESB, and really loves uh, both of those beers, and just curious about what the real difference ends up being. Is he, uh, for as far as IPA, are we talking English IPA or uh, American IPA? Yeah, I don't know. Let's let's make an English IPA because <coughs> yeah, well, uh, I would guess closer to that, wouldn't it? Because yeah. the other ones are pretty opposite. Yeah, yeah, because uh, American IPA tends to be far more bitter and far more bold as far as the um, uh, flavor of hops goes. As far as English IPAs, it's interesting because even in in the U.S., we've gone. <laughs> To the extreme on English IPAs, we're making them bigger and bolder, more like American IPAs all the time. We people use English yeast and English hops, and then they hop them and do the alcohol as if they were American IPAs, and they call them English just because they're using some English ingredients. Mm. English IPAs, if you go over there, <clears throat> you'll have English IPAs that are lower alcohol and less bitterness and less hop flavor than an ESB. And I think that's where the listener is like, you know, what, boy, what's the difference? And over there, really, um, the IPA thing is really, you know, the beer might have been an IPA like a hundred years ago, and now it's uh, a pale you know, Yeah, it's like an ordinary bitter, and it, <laughs> yeah. but it still says IPA on the bottle, just because it has a, a bit of hops to it, and they'll say IPA. Um. <clears throat> If you look at the style guide, again, they're, they're fairly close. The IPA is going to have more hop character as far as the style guide is concerned, I believe. Uh, you're going to get uh, a bit more um, hop expression. And with the ESB, you're going to get less. So it's really a continuum over there of very similar uh, ingredients and differing gravities. And, um, you know, different fermentation characteristics. Okay. So, uh, that's, that's, I think that's kind of the best answer I can give. I, I think it's very hard to classify a lot of these. Well, why do they call them bitters? 
ESPs, you know. I always have to tell customers that doesn't mean they're bitter. Uh, Is it just a name because there's more hops in it? Well, now they're, yeah, they are, they are, um, bitter compared to, say, a mild. Oh, okay. And, uh, so, they're very gently bitter, most of them. But they're not American bitter. Yeah, and, you know, that's the thing that drives me nuts in competitions. I get, you know, score sheets back and they go, well, it needs to be more bitter. It's a bitter. You know, it needs to be, and they're thinking like 50 IBUs, you know, uh, like an alt beer or something. And it really, um, you know, it, they're, they're much closer to balance than a lot of people think. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you have the, the, the malt balance and then, uh, you know, the bitterness sticks out a little bit, but it's mainly covered by the malt. Mm-hmm. Some of them are a little more bitter than others. Some of them are, are evenly bittered. And, uh, you know, they're not really that bitter at all. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, it's, uh, but they're, they're more bitter than mild. Okay. All right, a couple quick questions, and we're about out of time. Uh, John, you could probably answer this one, too. Uh, they want to know if uh, this person wants to know if he can order some sort of tasting kit that will help him identify the flavor compounds in beer. Well, you guys we, sell we, that? We, we tried that on the show before. Yeah. The, well, we didn't try it. I think we have we it. We have here the still. Flavor Active Kit. Yeah, exactly. And you can you get that at B3? We sell those, yeah. All right, so morebeer.com. It's yeah. called the Flavor Active Kit. Right. Right. Or have him email me and... I'll look it up for him. Get okay. the product number. John P. at thebrewingnetwork.com. Send him an email. He'll uh, set you up with that. The other one is about a porter recipe. Well, let's see. He wants me to ask you, I'm looking to brew your porter. I looked at the recipe page, but the porter is different from the other flavored porters. Which one is now your base recipe? Uh, good question. You know, it, it's shifted little little by little over the years. Um, I'd have to look. Okay. Uh, but the porter recipe, we did the... Robust Porter show fairly recently, didn't we? Yes. So that should be it. That's your base one, the Robust Porter. That, that's probably it. That and was some of some of the. It's a damn good beer too. Some of the like the chocolate hazelnut and the, you know the raspberry porter and the smoke porter and all that. You know some other tweaks kind of happened here and there sometimes, but generally you can just take that Robust Porter recipe and do whatever you want with it, and everything will fit in quite well. Yeah, you know, for the for the smoke beer, just take twenty percent of the base malt out uh, as far as the total grain bill and then just put in the Rauch malt and, and you're really close right in there. Hmm. As far as uh, you know, chocolate hazelnut porter, just make that recipe, throw in a can, a 8 ounce can of Hershey's cocoa powder and uh, you know some hazelnut extract in the keg to taste and there you go, chocolate hazelnut porter. Hmm. For a raspberry, uh, you know, in the secondary, just throw in some raspberry flavoring or you know, I like the Oregon raspberry puree mm-hmm. so put that in there. in the like in Three the, pounds? In the yeah, one of those cans okay. to five gallons, yeah. and uh, it'll add a little bit of extra alcohol to it, but it's also a fairly simple sugar, which kind of thins, so it kind of balances each other out, and uh, that works out nice. So you have a lot of lot of op- options and possibilities there. So what are we talking about uh, two weeks from now? Two weeks from now, you guys are covering Scottish. It just says Scottish, so I don't know which Scottish. You know those beers, don't you, Jamil? Uh, I think I, I brewed one before. Yeah, I think so too. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think we're going to talk about all the, uh, the 60, 70, 80 shilling, yeah, uh, okay. variety. Plus the history would be cool. Alright. So that's yeah, two weeks are, from now. Those are some great beers. I love those. Check out the Jamil page, thebrewingnetwork.com slash Jamil. It's on there. You can go to mrmalty.com if you want some more information or his new, uh, is the new recipe, uh, or the new, uh, pitching rate calculator. Is it up? 
No, I, I, I'm, I'm just doing some final uh, tweaks to it, and okay. it's it's, it's going to be sweet. People are going to love it. So keep an eye out, MrMalty.com. Please remember that there's no Sunday show uh, coming up this week. It's Labor Day weekend, so have yourselves a barbecue and a beer on us. Okay. Sweet. Uh, <laughs> charge it to John's account. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, everybody. We'll see you. The Jameel Show has been a production of The Brewing Network. Please send questions for Jameel to jameel at thebrewingnetwork.com. The Jameel Show airs live every other Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, right here on The Brewing Network.